This is the final sermon in a series of sermons focused on how we as a church, how we relate to our city, to this culture that we live in, that God has called us to be a missionary church, that we need to look at the city the way missionaries look at their cities, that we need to look at this city as a city that God loves, a city that does not belong to us. It belongs to our secular neighbors. It's their city. We're here as a minority community sent into this city because God loves this city. So our posture to this city has to be that kind of posture, a posture not of resentment, not of hostility, not of war, but a posture of love. And so to live into this vision, to be a missionary church, to be faithful to Jesus as we are faithful to this city, we've been drawing on six practices that have shaped the church throughout generations when the church is the minority. And this morning we've come to the last practice, work. Christians work differently. We need to see that our work, our jobs, our vocation is a fundamental way that we live out our missionary calling to love God and to love our neighbors. We need to remember that the purpose of faithful Christian presence is not simply to live with our neighbors, but to labor for our neighbors. The whole purpose of work is that we bring goodness out of the earth and we bless our neighbors with it to cultivate orchards and to create cities where our neighbors can flourish. So let's get started by looking at three basic characteristics of the Christian view of work. The first is this. A fundamental thing to know about work from a Christian perspective is that humans were made for work. We were made for work. In the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, right after making humans, God says, subdue the earth, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is our job. We are responsible to use our powers, our abilities to work. That's what it takes to create and to cultivate and to develop and to reshape the world that we find before us. Work is what we do when we take the world that's given to us and make something of it. Now, in the next chapter of the Bible, the chapter that we heard read this morning, Genesis chapter 2, we see that it says God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. It's two synonyms. In Hebrew, the first word work, it means disciplined work. The second synonym, keep it, means concentrated attention. At the heart of the Christian view of work is the understanding we were created for the purpose of work. 
And here in America, there are some different views of work than that. That is actually a distinct view. I think there are two predominant views of work in America today. The first one is what you could maybe call the Freudian view, the Freudian view. This is where a person tolerates work while they seek their fulfillment off the job. This is working for the weekend, working in order to make a living. Work is good because it makes other things possible. It makes rent possible. It makes food possible. And that's, that's the purpose of work. So work is a means to an end. It's the thing we do so we can have the stuff we want or the stuff that matters or the stuff that we need. This approach to work says work is about me. It's about my needs, my happiness, my dreams. I get a paycheck, and with that paycheck, I get the stuff of life I want. Now, another approach to work in America today could be described as a Marxist approach. This is where you seek fulfillment on the job. You perform, that performance gets you recognition from peers and superiors. And we're so hooked on this stimulation that we can hardly stop doing it. And we can't think of anything else that we'd rather do. Retirement for that person is a form of death. And if it wasn't for enforced relaxation, like you've got to go to sleep at night because you just can't stay up all the time, or weekends, this kind of person would just burn out. Now, the Christian view of work is different. It's a third way. From the Christian perspective, we were made in order to work. Now, this sounds a little bit like the Marxist perspective, but here's where it's different. And this is the second most basic characteristic from a Christian perspective on work, and it's this. The purpose of work is to love God and to love your neighbor. It's to love God and love your neighbor. We said this earlier in our worship service on page two in your worship, God, we listened to Jesus' summary of the law. What is the most important thing for a human being? Love God and love your neighbor. And what we're seeing this morning is that work is how you do that. Your work is the primary way you manifest love for God and love for neighbor. Why in the world would Jesus say the most basic commandment is love God and your neighbor, but then create people who are required to spend most of their time doing something unrelated to that? That would be bizarre. That'd be a bad engineering move. God's not a bad engineer, right? So these two things have to be fundamentally related. Now let's break this down. When you read the Bible, in the first two chapters of the Bible, you see that the creator made this world And then it's just gratuitous. He fills it with these treasures, right? So many gifts, so many good and true and beautiful things, so much potential. And then at the climactic moment of creation, God makes humans and he says, no, go work in this world. Go into this world and I can't wait for you to receive all the gifts that I've put in this world. In Genesis 1, God is like a proud parent on Christmas morning just delighting as he waits for his kids to open the gifts that he's prepared for them. So God places humans in this world to receive the gift of his creation, the gifts of this world and grateful joy. But here's the catch. So many of the gifts of creation are in the form of potential. 
And our work is how we draw out the potential of the world. It's how we steward the world. And when we do this, when we do good work well, we are fulfilling the most basic commandment God has given us. Remember, the first commandment God gives us is Genesis 1:28: Subdue the earth and have dominion. If that's the first command God gave us, and then when Jesus says, let me sum up everything, and he sums it up in love God and love your neighbor, those two things have to fit together. Jesus was not ignoring the first command. He was contextualizing it. He was saying, here's how you do that. Your work is one of the most fundamental ways that you love God. Now, the second thing, work is how we love God, but it's also how we love our neighbor. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, we're told, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. One of the things that God is teaching us in this verse is that work is a form of neighbor love. It's a form of mutual service. Listen to it again. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The habit of thinking about work as fundamentally something you do in order to make money is so ingrained in us that we can scarcely imagine how revolutionary the biblical view is that work is how I love my neighbor. My neighbor's children need education. My neighbors need good banking. My neighbors need good government. My neighbors need churches. My neighbor's houses need painting. Good work is how we love our neighbor. Work is not merely a means to my own advancement when work is my contribution to this city. All right, number one, we were made for work. And number two, the fundamental purpose of work is to love God and neighbor. Those are the twin pillars of a Christian view of work. Now, let me show you how this can play itself out into our life tomorrow. Three ways that we can work like Christians. Number one, learn to offer yourself to God through your work. Learn to offer yourself to God through your work. You see, in creating us for the purpose of work, God is not just giving us a job to do like some jerk of a boss. In creating us for work, God is inviting us to communion with himself. Our gospel passage, my father is always at work and so am I. So here is God like a father saying, come with me, come into relationship with me. We see God at the very beginning of the Bible working, he's creating. And then he makes this creature in his image and says, come along with me, do this with me. The purpose of your talents and abilities is not fundamentally to heap up fame and fortune for yourself. God has given you, everybody in this room, certain talents and certain abilities because God loves this city. 
And he's given your talents and your abilities so that you can love this city and so that you can join him through your talents, through your abilities in manifesting love in concrete ways to this city so that this city can flourish. Your work is your missionary calling. You don't add your missionary calling to your work. Your work is your missionary calling. Whatever your job, no matter how mundane and underappreciated, ask yourself, if this job was not done well, wouldn't that be a negative impact on this city? If business isn't done well, if managing employees isn't done well, if healthcare, if mental health care, if, if whatever, if teaching isn't done well, if administration isn't done well, whatever you're doing, that is God's way of helping this city, the wheels of the city turn. Your job is God's invitation to you to know him and to meet with him. And you have to learn how to commune with God in and through your work. Number two, the second way that a Christian works like a Christian is when a Christian learns to work for shalom through their work. Here, here's what I mean. A guiding scripture for this entire series of sermons has been Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city. That word welfare in Hebrew, it's shalom. It doesn't just mean peace. The word shalom draws together three concepts. Peace, justice, and delight. Work for the peace, the justice, and the delight of the city. The purpose of a city is to make a way for every person living there to live their best life possible. Shalom is about flourishing and prospering. One theologian put it this way, it is the webbing together of God and humans and creation in justice and fulfillment and delight. One of my favorite passages to see this is Isaiah chapter 28, verse 23. It's about farming. So li listen to this. Give ear and hear my voice. This is God speaking. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put in wheat and rose and barley in its proper place and immerse as the border? Now, this is a fascinating passage of Scripture. This is, this is about common Middle Eastern agricultural knowledge. How does a farmer know what to plant, where, and when to plant it? How do I know what to plant in my backyard garden and when to plant it? Where does a gardener learn to garden? It's the same in every single civilization. From farmers that are full-time, it's what they do, to my dad and his grandfather, to his neighbor, gardening knowledge is always culturally accumulated over time. But listen, listen to this, the very next verse of this passage. The farmer is rightly instructed, God teaches him. 
So what we see in this passage, it starts out by saying, listen to my voice. And then it talks about some common Middle Eastern farming practices. And then it says, you know where this knowledge came from? God taught that. Now, how did that happen? Was there like some big earthquake and Thor walked out and gave some lecture to the local farmer's co-op and said, here's where you put cumin, here's when you plant dill? No. They learned it over time and grandparents told, parents told children. And God says, that's him. That's the way he teaches. He teaches through communities, societies, villages, cultures, accumulating knowledge and passing it on. That's the voice of God, he says. What Isaiah is saying is that every vocation, whether you're a teacher, a homemaker, a business person, a student, an engineer, every vocation has a proper way of working like the grain of a piece of wood. It's there. It's the grain of your job. And that grain is God's voice. It's God's wisdom. And your job is to hear God's voice. How? By discovering the best practices, the grain, the way to do your job well. And when you discover that, you have heard God's voice. One way that this all works out into your life is this. You need to be good at your job. And if you're not good at your job, it's because you're not listening to God. Because God's voice is there. His wisdom is there. If God calls you to business, discover the business practices that work. And when you have, you are joining God, listening to his voice, and loving your neighbor. If your job is interior design. There are ways to design interiors that bless humans and there are ways that harm humans. If your job is finance or art or homemaking or medicine or education or farming, whatever your job is, you have to master the accumulated knowledge in your field. That's the way you listen to God. That's the way you pay attention to his voice. And you not only have to master the accumulated knowledge in your field, you have to discern what your field is doing, what of that is good and what of that does not work? So that when you do that, you have listened to the voice of God. You're partnering with God in creating and cultivating for shalom, for the flourishing of the city. As a worker, you must learn to see what in your, in your industry is cutting against the grain of the universe and not working well for its purpose. And you've got to find a pathway through that. If we're going to be a missionary church, we need to pray and work in all the spheres of our city. We need fresh and creative and new initiatives in business and healthcare and law and politics and family life and social services, in the arts and the media and entertainment and government. We need deep, well-researched, well-honed, relevant ideas about how to heal our culture for the benefit of all. And when we've done that, we have paid attention to the voice of God. As a worker, your task is to do justice to what is demanded in your field. That brings us to a third way that the Christian view of work matters tomorrow. And it's this. When you are working, remember your first duty at work is to your work. It's to your work. 
If your job is legitimate work, then mediocre work, no matter what your job, is the only form of unchristian work. Even if you're the nicest, most selfless person in the office, even if you're the most moral and pure and holy and kind student in the class, your work, if it's mediocre, is unchristian. This is a third way to apply the Christian view of work to your day tomorrow. Learn to see that your first duty at work is to your work. Students, your first duty at school is to learn. And no matter how pure and holy you are, if you're not working at that, you're not working at school like a Christian. Dorothy Sayers, she's this crime novelist. She wrote a remarkable essay about work. She wrote it right after the Second World War. And she gives this interesting illustration. Quote, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter has too often been limited to telling him, don't get drunk. Don't be lazy in your time off. Make sure you go to church. But what the church should be telling the carpenter is this. The very first demand of Christ for a carpenter, make a good table. Make a good table. By all means, go to church and don't get drunk, she writes. But what use is all of that if the very center of your life and occupation is insulting God with bad carpentry? And then with a wonderful understanding of Scripture, this is what she writes. No crooked table leg or ill-fitting drawer came out of the carpenter's shop in Nazareth. If they did, would anyone have believed it was God himself, the one who made heaven and earth, who made that table, that drawer? Morality and evangelism and kindness and good intentions will not compensate for bad work. And if that wasn't enough, Dorothy Sayers goes on and says, in the buildings of the church and in its art and music, in its hymns and prayers, in its sermons and its cute little books of devotions, the church tolerates good intentions and excuses ugly, pretentious, tawdry, twaddling, insincere, and insipid work. Work that is so bad, it shocks and horrifies any decent artist. And why, she says, why does the church do this? Because the church has lost all sense of the fact that the living and eternal truth is expressed in work only so far as the work is true to itself, to the standards of its own technique. The church has forgotten that, the voc that work is sacred. It's forgotten that a building must be good architecture if it can be a good church. That a painting must be well painted if it pleases God. That work must be good work if it's going to call itself God's work. All of this to say the only Christian work, the only Christian music, the only Christian art, the only Christian teaching, the only Christian mothering, the only Christian work is good work done well. All right, I, I, that's all I'll say about it. I'll close with this. We're a missionary church. And so we need to embrace the six practices that we've been going over the last couple of months. When the church is in missionary mode, these are the practices that it uses to be a missionary church. 
embrace our context. Love it. Stand toward it as a neighbor who loves a neighbor. Recover our confession. Insist on human dignity. Cultivate virtue. Extend hospitality. And work like a Christian. This is how the church has lived out its missionary calling for thousands of years. And as we take them up and get better at them, we will become a better missionary church. Let's pray.